I can't help but let my mind wonder what Nick Cage waking up to realising he's had a wet dream about a canary would look like. Episode, episode seven of Uncaged. Every single one's exciting in its own different way. Well, this was one of the least exciting watches. I've I've gone right in with a negative note, and I'm very aware of that. It was one of the least exciting watches for me, and that's nothing against the film. Uh, today is we celebrate one week of this extraordinary project, and one week, one week in the cage, one week in <laughs> one the locked cage. up, <laughs> locked up for a week now, and what a week it's been. What fantastic company we've kept, both with one another and our new best friend, Nicholas. I'd just like to say off the bat, Nikki, I really appreciate the good quality company you've been this week. You've taken many different forms, uh, put on many different hats throughout the duration, but he's been a really gracious host this week. I'd I'd say maybe three forms and two hats. (laughs) I don't think it was as varied as you're making out, but a very exceptional first seven films. Yeah, I've got to say, like... Going into this project, and th- this is probably an appropriate time of ever to bring it up, like one week, I shouldn't be getting nostalgic about the project already because we have <laughs> such a long road ahead of us. I think it's what well, there's there's so much, l- there's not really anything else for us to focus on right now, so this feels like everything. <laughs> yeah, completely well put. But listen, Nick Cage came out swinging with his acting career. Yeah, I mean, he really, really did knock us for six with this. I mean, the first TV debut... Obviously, it's a uh, you know. I mean, it is what it is. I enjoyed it all the same, though. You know, I en- I enjoyed it as kind of like a this is fun. This is where it begun, but I I wouldn't watch it again per se. Um, moving straight from there into regiment where he doesn't have any lines. I thought this week was going to be a slog, but from there, the past five films have been really exceptional and i'm going to include today's one in that i i think that birdie another one from 1984 uh is some of the finest work as a film that i've seen from him from this week and i I feel like i've said that a lot this week but only on the basis that i think his acting is genuinely getting better film by film he's the gift that keeps on giving and especially 1984 a crazy year for him he really bursted onto like being in films and and birdie as his last film i believe of the year he he is ostensibly the lead role in it. He has more lines than anyone by a mile. Um, he spends half of the film with his face in bandages. We're made to feel compassion and sympathy for Nick Cage, maybe for the first time throughout throughout his career. Uh, we see him cry on screen for the first time. And moreover, I would like to say this is probably my favourite of the characters he's played this week. It's the character that most feels... I think with the others, we've we've danced around the idea that maybe he was typecast into those roles. Whereas I feel like this role was just written for him. I don't think he strayed too far from his path, necessarily. But he is playing the best version of that character. Oh, of course. Of all the characters he's played so far this week, this is the one I would most like to to hang out with i mean i wouldn't quite go that far there's still a lot of strange kind of uh, personality traits that he's got in there but i mean we can go through that in a moment let's do a quick kind of synopsis of this film so people know what we're talking about if they haven't seen birdie from 1984 so nicholas cage plays the i mean the, the meeting of the two characters is quite strange the film sets it up like cage is gonna be this kind of knobhead bully guy 
but he's actually quite a sweetheart and he becomes really fascinated with the weird kid on the block birdie yeah and that that really sets up this really strange friendship that seems to last throughout the entirety of their childhood from meeting until they both go to serve in vietnam where they both have different traumatic experiences and both come back completely changed and that's where the film kind of picks up in a way with birdie being uh, institutionalized and with nicholas cage's character al going to visit him to try and bring him back from that and it's really that there's there's a lot in there that kind of although the film is about birdie's mental state i think in equal parts it's trying to make you look at al's character as well nicholas cage's character al the mental state that he's actually been left with and the fact of how much he's relying on his friend who can't actually be there for him yeah it seemed like it was a film that caught us at the moment of nick cage's character al realizing just how important birdie had been to him they kind of end their relationship on a sour note when they're both young men developing in different ways al's getting more into you know into girls and i'd imagine later you know latterly the army and being a young man whereas birdie clues in the name is getting really into ornithology and birds and feathers and wings absolutely loves birds he is mad for it i I didn't think i really didn't think the title was going to be so literal to this film (laughs) overall this this film is really like a dive into the human psyche and ptsd and mental illness and it does it covers a lot of ground for what it is And for a film created in mid 80s i think it it handled it really well i think yes a lot of films that era could be kind of heavy-handed for lack of a better term but i i feel like they did they did a good job of approaching it from every angle and not making anyone who was a mental illness sufferer in the film out to be a freak yeah a hundred percent and that's why i'm glad the casting was the way around it was because i do kind mm. of feel that if nicholas cage was birdie that would have been all hell broken loose on i set. had exactly the same thought crossing my mind and i think it's it was too soon for nick cage to play that sort of role um, yeah it's, he, it's a lot to ask he is far and away the most diverse he's been in his career so far on this film like i said earlier like he delivers laughs uh he we see him cry like there's this great monologue he does and all, all the scenes so for a bit of clarity the film is sort of broken into two presentations there's the stuff from the past where they're growing up together and uh again half of the film is set sort of in the present in the the, the what would you call it an asylum is that the right way to call it yeah okay it's kind of like some sort of um military hospital uh psych ward and all the time in the in the psych ward when uh nick's character al and birdie are together birdie is mute and refusing to communicate so cage is doing all of the heavy lifting in those scenes effectively having a back and forth dialogue with himself to make up for the two characters and interestingly enough matthew modine who played birdie he originally went into this film auditioning for the character of al interesting before he was actually put in as birdie which does make you wonder if nick would have originally been going for birdie and then they just went this is too far both did such a good job with their characters it's it's now and impossible to imagine it the other way around but i can't help but let my mind wonder what nick cage waking up to realizing he's had a wet dream about a canary would look like yeah that's not something i mean we already know how much he how he feels about birds and i I was gonna maybe (laughs) save that for later but quite right we the guy is into bird sex and i think this could be a big part of where it came for and i would even probably guess that while he was going to audition for the part of birdie he did a lot of research into the subject just to be sure and 
that's where you know the rabbit hole opened up and swallowed him whole you know and sometimes it just doesn't feel like work (laughs) (laughs) moving swiftly on from that i do want to touch on i know we've been speculating these last couple episodes about how nick could have been um preparing for these as a method actor i've actually got a couple of facts for you about what he did for this The method man himself hit me with it so obviously for the pretty much the majority of the uh kind of present day scenes in this film he's got bandages wrapped around his face from a steel jaw that he's had put in mm. after a bomb goes off in vietnam in front of him it's kind of left him very traumatized uh, obviously he's suffering from ptsd but um in the build-up to this film and throughout the filming of it he refused to take off the bandages he, he lived in the bandages for, wow. for weeks at a time. He mummified himself. To, to the point that it's written that he was struggling to eat. It was like difficult to get through to him because obviously it covers one side of his ear. So he's like, he's losing balance. Um, on top of that, wow, man. and this is, this is fascinating to me, he had two teeth removed without anaesthetic. What? Sorry? For, for this role. Goodness yeah. me. And I read this beforehand so I was looking out the entire time and there's only one shot towards the very end where you actually see one of the removed teeth so I'm going to go on the record and say that wasn't worth it (laughs) (laughs) that seems like a lot of hassle I respect the method but you really could have just not said you did But that's the thing, like you could have just coloured the hoof in at that point. It was it didn't add anything to the character, but then we also know that he's gearing up at this point to get his teeth fixed. So maybe it was just the first step of that. So I wonder if, yeah, he was just getting some teeth removed anyway to make space for his others to spread out and then just kind of palmed it off but i mean look this is the method man himself i mean it's, it's based on a book so maybe he was going for some sort of realism that we're unaware of but the, the idea of doing it with no with no no anesthetic tool is just insane it's ridiculous he's he's just what's he up to that's so hardcore that's actually made my teeth feel weird talking about that yeah i, I don't like it much moving on from that as well we've we've touched each time on uh, Nick's place in the credits. Oh, yes. I'm so glad you brought this up. It's been my minor obsession. And I feel like maybe even as, as soon as next week, and maybe as soon as tomorrow, we that might not be something I have to obsess about. We might have, you know, DVD movie poster name position and not long. But this one, right up there alongside, just starring the two leads. Boom. There we go. Yeah, he's straight up there. Um, one thing I did want to touch on in this is how generous they've been. I know we said about on yesterday's episode for the Cotton Club about how they praised Richard Gere for his cornet playing. Dental work by Nick Cage. Yeah. <laughs> in the actual post-credits to this, they went on to, uh, by name, list all of the animals that were included in this, oh. including all of the birds, the pigeons by name, <gasps> and one of them had a stunt pigeon. <laughs> And I wanted to bring that up because I feel like there's a lot to unpack in that. Because <laughs> I don't remember there being any stunts that weren't just... I mean, there's that bit where the canary flies into the window. I think they just painted a stone yellow for that. Yeah, I assume that was just a bright yellow stone or it was just launched at the window. I didn't assume that... That sounds like a film that you could pitch to Nick Cage and he'd be into it. <laughs> it's called Stunt Pigeon. You play this down and out old pigeon who used to be the the go-to Nick is like stop talking stop talking I'm in (laughs) you you had me at stunt pigeon (laughs) you had me at new film (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to I mean you brought up about the credits and watched them to the end there and that's very respectable Uh, I looked at them but I did not absorb a lot of the information at that point this film was 
enjoyable but deceptively long. I, it, it's a two-hour film, but it is a slog to get through. I wouldn't have chose to stick it on on a Sunday night, but look, Nick insisted, and i got to do what he says. Well, that's just it, isn't it? Sometimes sometimes you you wake up on a Sunday and you think, I really can't wait to sit down and watch that film where Matthew Modine gets naked and lies in a birdcage for 20 minutes. yeah. <laughs> But here we are. This is the Sunday that we're living. I've got to say, though, all was redeemed when I got to see uh, a shirtless Nick Cage pumping iron again. God, I miss seeing that man pump iron. It's somehow he's gotten even Hensher. Yeah. He's he's really retained it. He looks fantastic. And like he was he was sweaty and he was muddy and he was pumping iron. And yeah, the guy looked great. It's a really fun scene as well when you have the two of them together and they're like, they're, they're playing quite young. I imagine they must be kind of 18, 20 year olds, yeah. maybe, maybe even younger, to be honest, because they're still, this is pre Vietnam War, and they're in the back garden of Birdie's parents' place, both working out using kind of makeshift things that they can. And Nick Cage is there doing pull ups and lifting weights, and he's doing these conventional things. You can see his biceps. Whereas Birdie's led there trying to get the muscles ready for him to flap so that he can fly <laughs> it's a great two shot between the two of them a front on angles of cage curling his biceps and it cuts to shots of birdie lying front down on this on this bench and flapping his arms and legs and then it cuts to the wide shot of them and you see that birdie's on the roof doing all of this oh it's fantastic fantastic <laughs> okay so on top of that let's let's go to what i'm not even going to ask you about this because i already know what the best scene of this entire movie was they both dress up as giant pigeons and go to <laughs> <laughs> go onto the roof of a construction site where Birdie falls off the roof. I shouldn't say fool. He tries to claim that he can fly. <laughs> the pigeon costumes is, are so good. And it comes out of nowhere when Nick shows up at this. It's kind of like a very budget Avery in, in a treehouse. But um, Nick goes up to try and find Birdie's character. And he says, like, I know you're in there. What's going on? And then he comes out. Out of the shadows. Wearing this half, out of the shadows in this half-made pigeon costume. <laughs> and Nick's just like, what, what on earth is that? He has to sit down. He can't believe it. It's the way that Birdie's hand was like, I'm making this pigeon costume for you. And, <laughs> and Nick's face just drops, just like, I'm not wearing that. And then the next scene, it just absolutely no convincing because then he's 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 running around in a pigeon costume. There are some some great lines of, of dialogue in it by by our guy. Uh, and I wanted to I wanted to crack open a round of everyone's favourite Quizzalus Cage. Okay. This is where I wanted to give you a question about the film we watched together just now, together but separately just now, uh, to see if you are really paying attention. Sure. At one scene, the two characters go out to the boardwalk to so Birdie can experience the sea for the first time, and they go on some roller coasters and they hang out with so, some girls together, and they realise that it's not really Birdie's not so into to girls in the same way, uh, and then they're walking along the beach together and. Nick Cage is explaining to him why girls are brilliant and why he's such a fan of breasts. Birdie goes on to say they're just mammary glands. It's like cows but in a different place. To which Nick Cage lists breasts in three different ways. He says big tits, round tits, 
Can you remember the third adjective he uses? Fleshy tits and full tits, it would Fleshy be then. Fleshy tits and full tits. <laughs> because I've absolutely written this down because it's one of the most ridiculous <laughs> bits of dialogue I've ever seen. <laughs> Great job. Great job, man. You were paying attention. <laughs> How could you not? I had to rewind it to make sure I heard it right. Yeah, me too, me too. It's one of the greatest moments where he's just... His mammary glands? Mammary glands? <laughs> No, we're talking tits here. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "What's going on?" I think I thought I'd lost my mind for a moment. It's but no. so funny, and it's a it's a great full circle later on after the high school dance where Birdie is alone with his prom date in the car. She takes off her top to let him have a go on her mammary glands, and he just kind of inquisitively prods them with his finger. Great stuff. Yeah, ten out of ten. Nailed Not it. Interested. Uh, you got a round of quizless for me? I, I have actually. I'm a bit nervous. Okay, so there's a scene in this film where. Uh, Al speculates to Birdie, after Birdie gets back from the hospital, that the local butcher has taken the remaining pigeons to sell for meat. Mm. But Ben, can you remember how he refers to their fate? How he refers to their fate? Oh, I can. He, he refers to what's happened to these birds. These birds have been plucked and fucked. That's exactly right. <laughs> this is for sure the most vulnerable we've ever seen. Yeah, on and he, he, he plays it very well. And I don't think it really comes out until those those end scenes when you realise how much... Obviously, this whole film has got you brought into the idea that he's there looking out for his friend. He's trying to help Birdie. But I think what he's really doing is he's desperate for that kind of... Uh, he, he's relying so much on Birdie to almost allow him to feel more normal in, in this world. Absolutely. It's the person he's grown the most close to throughout his life. And they become estranged, but once they're back together, he realises how important he is to him. And it's almost like he's he's chasing that stability that he doesn't have from his family or his friends. If you notice there's that moment where they show uh, Nick Cage's character Al when he's mm-hmm. leaving for Vietnam. I can't remember if he's getting on a coach or a train, but there's no one, no, no one's there with him. He, he's, he gets on by himself and he kind of does a, a little sad look around like, I've, I've got nothing. And I feel like at that point, obviously, he's fallen out with Birdie. And there's that moment of realisation where you think, oh, okay, not that there's a victim to this film per se, but you go the whole way thinking that Birdie's the one that needs help. And I think the more you kind of watch it and more dive into it, I think it's more the other way around. That's perfectly articulated. Yeah, what a great way of putting that, man. I kind of clocked it to begin with. There's a scene where they've gotten this job with this local kind of sketchy rotund man catching dogs and they don't know where they're taking the dogs but they know they're getting a dollar per dog that they catch and they find out they're then taking it to this place where they're essentially having the dogs euthanized they're getting electrocuted and there's that moment where there's the man who's chasing after the dogs because it's his dog and and the guy's saying is like these dogs are a pest we need to get rid of them mm. but the guy's chasing like no that's my dog I need to save it and I feel like that's kind of a metaphor for Nick's character chasing Birdie throughout the rest of the film Absolutely. being like this this he might be broken but this is my he's my broken yeah it's my bird it's my bird <laughs> I also absolutely adored that very slapstick teenage hijink scene with that very rotund man chasing the dogs while La Bamba plays. It was unbelievable how many times they got away with playing La Bamba in this film. Like I feel four, like that was five, maybe. I could be completely wrong on this, but I believe this is the first film scored by Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel, right? <laughs> Who famously, of course, recorded La Bamba. <laughs> so this is it. Like they've got they've got a big name in here. I don't know why they couldn't have some sort of original music or just different music. They didn't need to rely on that same bit of music every time. I started to wonder, going back to what you were saying about whether this is more about Nick Cage's kind of character's kind of uh, descent into madness rather than Birdie's. Mm. And for the whole time, the fact that Birdie doesn't speak when anyone else is around at the very end and the fact that the more 
he's at the hospital and he's the one that's being told that he needs to move on and go to these different places. Yes. I, I wonder, is Birdie really there? I was on the edge of my seat waiting for a Shutter Island type twist or something to come along. I, I really thought that was it at the end, that they were either both going to run to the top and then both try and fly, but actually fall off the building or the fact that they get up there and he realizes that he's been by himself the entire time and it's just him in this in the psych ward but no it's um, a very strange ending to this film where whilst yeah whilst we're here talking about the ending that final five minutes is a roller coaster we have a distraught nick cage delivering this like teary-eyed monologue while gripping birdie to his chest every now and then just screeching a swear word and then Less than two minutes later, we have Nick Cage flipping a dude over his shoulder, tackling another man to the floor, and kicking a man in the nuts. It's incredible. That very first um, kind of like judo takedown is just great. Oh, it was. And it's, yeah. it's just the way that that entire scene is like the entire range of Cage. It was like a showreel <laughs> that he was, could take to anyone, it? where he just goes, "Look, look at my range here. I can be sad. I can be emotional. I can be angry. I can be uh, empathetic. This is my friend. Like I, I love my friend." I can do karate. <laughs> <laughs> and then right at the end, he perfectly displays how he can alley-oop a, the biggest laugh of the movie where Birdie runs to the... They get to the rooftop of the building. It's a tense scene. Nick Cage is busy barricading the security who are coming after them. Birdie runs to the edge of the building and spreads his arms out. Cage looks over at him and screams, Birdie, no! Just in time to see him jump and start flapping his arms. He runs over to the building, panicking, and looks down just to see Birdie stood maybe, I don't know, four feet lower than he is, just turning and going, what? Credits roll. Completely ridiculous. And then the film just ends. Oh, it was such a funny ending, man. It's such a weird ending to this film. And I'm not ashamed to say, there were moments of this where I was on the edge of tears. This was a very emotional film. And all of a sudden, it comes to the end of it, and they, they just they just throw in the joke <laughs> at the end. <laughs> like There are some really like wholesome and kind of you know smile-inducing moments in this, but this isn't a comedy by any part. That, that's probably the only actual joke in there, and it's how they end the film. It's all leading up to that one punchline, and I adore that it's so so ridiculous <laughs> good for them i think it's just queuing up perfectly for birdie 2 which is of course a buddy comedy about nick cage and his imaginary friend who can fly is he playing bird's bud in that one <laughs> stop it <laughs> you menace okay we've talked about birdie at, at great length before we move on to some analysis of our week. Wait, that sounds a bit too uh, statistical. Before we break down the week we've had, I would love, I would cherish, I would be beside myself with joy if you could be nice to Nikki for me. I, I feel like I'm going to be repeating myself a lot because I genuinely do think we've had a great week of Cage films here. Yeah. But I'm going to repeat myself in the best way possible because no one's going to want to hear it too much great bod yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely incredible bod St- still killing yeah, man, i'm right you chose the right answer um and i know you said it before this is his best acting in a major role for him it's the fact that this is the most lines we've seen him have i i think he really does a good job for what is an early 80s take and quite young actors taking on very serious subject matter boy done good ben i would like to be nice to nikki and say i love there's a one second of this film that I would just watch on a loop forever and it is Nick Cage painted entirely red in blood screaming at the top of his lungs oh yeah that's a real moment isn't it it's so he takes the entire frame it's just his face head to toe in blood just going ah! and I could 
I could gladly watch that just one second on a loop because it is so intense and it really felt like it was like uh, opening a window into the future. Yeah, I'd say that's completely fair commentary on that. It was like he was giving us a warning at the end of this at the end of this week. I mean, there's been a lot of synchronicity through these last seven days. Things we've said that have lined up with the films, things the characters have said to other characters about other characters he's played in other films on previous days. But that was a great way. Like he gave us this great movie, had a really enjoyable time with him. But then he just had that one second of being like, "Don't fucking forget who I am." Yeah, you'll never escape. Once you're in the cage, you're you're in for life. Ride or die. <laughs> <laughs> I had a courtesy glance at my calendar earlier. and I hope you've written each film on each of the days that we're going to be covering. I haven't dared to because I like to... I love to forget that we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> it's only at the end of our recording sessions when... I happen to click on the tab and see what's next. I go, oh, yeah, shit. Oh, there's more. Oh, yeah. There's 93 more. (laughs) Yeah, although we're starting to... Although we're here celebrating one week into the project, we have 13 and a half weeks left. Uh, Well, with that in mind, uh, let's let's start getting through some of these segments because these 13 weeks are really going to go on. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) So... Would you define this as a Cage classic? This is a Cage classic. This is his best performance. He does a superb job. He displays his full range. He is the lead in this film, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he's listed as the co-star. He's second build only because it's the title character. And I feel like it is very much a kind of co-main, I think, would be the right thing for this. Yeah, he has more than twice the lines of anyone else, I'm pretty sure. Um, And he remembered them all. Every single one. It didn't seem like there was a a poor improvised job at any point in this film. Okay, Daniel, let's let's break down the week we've had. We've watched seven Nicolas Cage films in seven days. I would describe them as seven films. Yeah, almost certainly. I don't think anyone could. I don't think anyone could fault your logic there. I'm going to quickly run through who we've spent time with this week, and then I would like you to give me some highlights from just you know, kind of as they come to you about the characters. First off, we started our week on Monday meeting Nick in Best of Times. Pointing at his biceps was probably my favourite thing of this film. Yeah, he screamed at his biceps, he loved picking up chicks, but he wasn't afraid to get a bit camp at a supermarket sing-along, and I respect that. Next up, we had the infamous role as Brad's bud in Fast Times at Richmond High. Just when you see a virtuoso of acting come into his own. I loved getting to spend time with Brad's bud because I feel like it really strengthened our relationship. I, I feel like he's no longer Brad's bud and I think he's our bud. Yeah, exactly. It just went, I am become Brad. <laughs> we hung out with Randy in Valley Girl. Randy the punk who doesn't listen to punk music. I, I don't, I'm not a huge Randy fan. I'm not a huge. I think he's probably the worst of the characters we've had so he's far. He's a creep. And the fact that it's a, it's a very fun film, but the guy's a kind of an asshole. The more I've thought about that post watching the film, the more I just think this, this guy kind of sucks. Randy creeps in showers and listens to people's shit. It shouldn't have taken me a week when you put it like that. Following that, we hung out with Smokey in Rumblefish. Yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> Smokey will stab you in the back. Somehow, somehow not as bad as Randy. But better than Randy. But it's a different kind, a different kind of douchebag. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Smokey, I respect it. I kind of respected how cutthroat the dude was. Yeah. Like, he knew, he knew what he wanted and he wasn't afraid who he fucked over to get it. And I think that was Nick Cage being quite true to himself. 
Yeah, absolutely fair enough. Next up, we hung out with Nicky in Racing with the Moon. See, this is this is probably one of my favourite ones. Nicky's a cool guy. Yeah, he, was, he played a really great character in this one. Yeah, listen, he was. Uh, he learnt a lot through the duration of the film, but really, he was just there. He was just there for his bud. Like a, a, bu- a bunch of these films, he was unafraid to do whatever it took to to stick up for his friends. Plus, Nicky commanded that Paul hustling scene, which is my favourite thing I've seen all week. That's your favourite scene of the week? Uh, that's a good news segment. Scene of the week. Yeah. Uh, scene of the week for me was almost certainly Nicky and Henry in Racing with the Moon when they were doing the Paul hustling scene. It was just, I just had no idea what was going to happen. And it was tense and it was funny and it was well acted and yeah i really really enjoyed it it's a fantastic moment in the film but i really don't think anything can top for me today's film birdie when they both show up on top of the construction site dressed as pigeons it's just it feels like that scene was just pulled straight out of cage's head it feels like that i feel like that wasn't in there and cage's (laughs) both dressed as pigeons yesterday we hung out with vincent in the cotton club another kind of douchebaggy character but i would say my favorite of the bastards yeah he's a good bastard gotta hand it to him yeah he he plays a great bastard i mean he doesn't understand eating fruit he doesn't understand (laughs) how to organize a drive-by there's, he's got many flaws that are very human. Yeah, that's a, I couldn't, I, I couldn't orchestrate a drive-by, and sometimes I struggle with fruit. So I don't know if maybe that's why I related so hard to that character. I gravitate to you, Vin. Look, you, the human experience is wrought with challenge, and you bring it to the screen fantastically. <laughs> and obviously, today we spent time with Al in Birdie. Lovely Alfonso. Probably my favourite overall of the characters. I'd say so Just a, too. A, a good guy, troubled guy. Al's got your back. Very unconfident guy, but a very loyal guy as well. A lot of good fun hanging out with Al. And quite right, that pigeon sequence. Oof. It's it's just ten out of ten. Um, I recommend anyone to, that's listening to this to look that up immediately because it's it's really is peak Cage. <laughs> it's, it's my favourite moment I've seen from films that I hadn't seen of Cage already. It's immediately in my top ten Cage moments of all time. Wow, I love that. And that list is going to be ever changing. I'm quite sure. Oh, of course. The pigeon sequence is when I started my week. That is something that I never thought I was going to see during it. And I'm so glad that I got to experience that. I think one thing that's become quite prevalent in this is that even seven days in, it's still very much expect the unexpected. Absolutely. You think we went into this knowing that this was going to be full of kind of meme-worthy material, and yet somehow we're still coming out of each episode of this surprised by how far he's willing to go in these strange directions. I'm starting to get it a bit more, the, the public fascination with the man. I'm definitely starting to understand it. I, I thought you meant just you starting to understand him a little bit, in which case I was going to say I'm completely clueless no, still. No, but I think that's... <laughs> I, I understand this, this fascination with him because you can, can you can colour me fascinated at this point. However, I do not understand the man. I think that's part of the lure. Very few people these days in the internet era are genuine enigmas in the way that he is. There's not many people that are getting buried in pyramids. No, anymore. certainly not that I'm aware of. And But again, even at the beginning of this week, I didn't think that's a thing anyone was still doing these days. But um, he's keeping the Thrive alive and he's he's making it happen. And yeah, I'm, I'm quite, quite enamoured with him. Now's a good point, I think. Uh, one week into our 100-day challenge adventure i'm not sure if i would i don't want to call it a challenge because that seems mean to nick but i i would say this is some sort of a it's an endurance test let's be real yeah we're one week into our endurance test i just want a a quick head check in with you how, how you doing man yeah there's 
for the most part, I'd say all right with this. There has been. We, I know we both kind of started off very excited on the first three days, and day four really hit both of us. Mm. Um, since then, it's been a kind of like a slow pick me up. But I think the caliber of the films has really held it together. I feel like if we got halfway through the week, hit that low point, and then got you know that kind of Deadfall Ghost Rider kind of trip that we're going to get later in the in the month. I think that would have been a lot harder to bounce back from. But I'm also just as interested of some of the films that we've early on identified as likely stinkers, if those will serve as pick-me-ups just to in- enjoy watching them just for the car crashes they are, or if they will have the adverse effect. And I think those could really go either way. I think if you're if you're feeling it that day, I think it could, it could take you to cloud nine. But I think if you're feeling pretty low, it might um, take you to cloud... Minus nine? I don't know what the opposite is. <laughs> it's just, I don't think there is an opposite to that. It can make you or it can break you. Yeah. And I think that's the power that this this charismatic man has. Okay, I think we can move from there into, I know it's something that you look forward to. Go on. We've got some cage facts. Oh, thank God. This is a great way to round off the week. I, I love learning about the man. I love spending time with the man, but I love even more learning all about him. Let's trade off a cage fact each. And, of course, tomorrow's another day. Hit me with it. Excellent. So in the last couple of days, we were talking about Cage's marriage. Yes. And you were telling me about his marriage to Patricia Arquette. Yes, I know the lady. And about how this came about very suddenly. Patricia Arquette was his first wife. His first wife. Okay, this makes this this even more bizarre then, because I thought this was going to be a lead on to that. Do do you know much about the proposal story? Uh, No, nothing at all. Well, it's it's a very normal proposal story okay. where, you know, these people aren't even together and he's just met her. <laughs> he proposed to her the day he met her. <laughs> he was 18, the day he met her. And what's absolutely hilarious about this, you know, we were talking about the rivalry that we kind of speculated on between him and Crispin Glover. Yes. Crispin Glover also proposed to her the same day. <laughs> what? That's cr- Double proposal that's crazy. at 18. Um, apparently, oh. um, <laughs> Arquette had made a list of acts that he would need to check off before she would accept the proposal, which was supposed to be like an impossible list. Oh, so she was, yeah, she made in this uncompletable list of you'd have yeah. to do this, you'd have to do that, you'd have to complete all of these tasks and thought that'll placate him and he'll get bored and he'll <laughs> he'll move on. It's, it was full of things like uh, JD Salinger's uh, rare autograph because it's not something you can get, uh, the, the non-existent black orchid, just these completely ridiculous things. What? And Cage started actually working his going way. after these things. Oh, yeah, wow. To to the point where she was apparently she started to freak out and hide from him. <laughs> she got and scared and avoided him. <laughs> <laughs> what what I love about this is that they started going out around a decade later. Oh, of, co- of course, because yeah, if you say he was eighteen when he met her, but yep. that was he was eighteen. Proposed to her on the day he met her. And then just just went all in for the next decade. And can you imagine having Nicolas Cage going all in at you for a decade? I would have married him after the first like month to make it stop. Just like yeah, just just stop this. We saw in Valley Girl how uh, intense he can be for a romantic conquest, but a decade of that. Yeah, it's that's a lot. I think that's. I mean, we've just we've signed ourselves up for three months of it, and I'm already a bit anxious, but never knowing it's going to end and then after 10 years looking back and saying he's still going Ooh. and so i know we spoke about his marriages and i don't think this one didn't last a particularly long time either i think this first marriage lasted for six years 
which for, okay. for our Nicholas is quite a good stint. I was going to say if he if he like was really like on the case for a decade and it lasted like a year, I would have felt bad about that. I'm going to hit you right back with another Cuckoo Cage fact. What you got for me? Nicholas Cage at one point was to have starred in Superman Lives as oh. to be directed by <laughs> Tim Burton. Oh my god. But Warner Brothers cancelled the project. Poor old Nicolas Cage, the huge Superman he is, even got as far as doing costume fittings before the project was axed. <laughs> that's gotta hurt. He, all that man wanted... I think that's his dream role as well. ...was to be a superhero. You know how close he got? Oh, oh, Nicky. No, A flaming skull on a motorcycle. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I've got one more cage fact for you here. I know that we're both big fans of uh, Nick's pets. Oh, my God. Are you really going to add another creature to this zoo? I've got two more for you. Oh, my goodness. Okay, <laughs> let me just... Okay, I'm ready. I, I'm not quite sure the right way to word this without just saying it. Okay. Will you t- take your time and deliver this to me in the best way because I'm, I'm a huge fan of Cage's Animals. Not to be confused with caged animals. So I'm going to let you have a guess that he's got. Let's start with something, something from the water world. We've got a, we've got a sea animal here. Well, obviously he's already invested in a huge tank for Jonathan, so he's probably like, I've got a lot of aquatic real estate here. I need to fill it. So Jonathan's an octopus for the uh, for the for the cage layman. Oh uh, yeah, for the uninitiated. He's also an acting coach, but don't worry about that. Uh, I think he got a. I think Nick Cage owns a puffer fish. I mean, he might do, but that's not what I've got here for you. I'll take one more guess. Nick Cage owns a starfish, which he keeps in a sink. That's absolutely correct. He owns a shark. <laughs> I should have guessed. I should have fucking guessed. I, it's it's obvious when, when you see it of coming, course. but that's not the fact that I wanted to go because there's a spin-off from that. Oh my Is that when he bought the shark... The shark seemed to also come with some sort of crocodile deal. <laughs> <laughs> Buy one, get one half price. Which seems, seems, I mean, maybe they were separate purchases, but I, I'd like to speculate at this point that the crocodile was half price when you buy your first shark. But yeah, I, I don't know what else to say on that. He owns a shark and a crocodile. Where do you even buy a shark? <laughs> Cage list. <laughs> 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 oh yeah i mean we already know that he's, he's got an octopus guy he's got a guy on speed dial for his octopus needs yeah. and i feel like the octopus guy must know a shark guy and between those guys they must know a crocodile guy and between those three the possibilities are endless you've got to remember at this point we've already covered the fact that he bought uh a, a stolen dinosaur skull God. and if he's got the contacts for that I think the world should be terrified about what he also has. There's uh, nothing this man can't and won't do. And I'm I'm genuinely in awe of of the man. And a, a large part of me, if I'm honest, I respect the heck out of it. If you could, you would. And he can, so he will. And, I mean, that's exactly the attitude of Cage that we've grown to love. And we're, we're really, really diving into. And to the point where um, I, I have got one more fact for you, but it's, it's going to be a closer. What a week it's been. We've got a long road ahead of us, but listen, man, we're in this together. So far, so good. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure. Yeah, always. Nicholas, thank you so much for your time. A total pleasure so far. I just wanted to let you know that one of your first cage facts was about one of Nick Cage's tattoos. Yes. Oh. 
uh, can you remind us all what that one was of? Nick Cage has a lizard in a top hat on his upper back. He does. The other tattoo he has is a tattoo of Ghost Rider. (laughs) (laughs) See ya. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a tattoo of himself. (laughs) 